0: James' original readers were scattered and struggling saints. One of the issues they struggled with was trials. Now, trials are often unexpected circumstances or challenges that push us out of our comfort zones. These scattered and struggling saints experienced severe trials, such as the loss of their family, loss of their friends, loss of their homes, and loss of their jobs. Many of us today struggle with some of these very same trials. Others struggle with other types of trials, such as health crises, or being trapped in circumstances beyond their control, or perhaps it's a trial of facing adversity, or even the lack of prosperity. And while no one voluntarily decides to undergo trials, and most of us would do anything to avoid trials, the fact is everyone... Especially believers are going to face trials. And these trials are either going to push us towards God or push us away from God. And so in James 1 2 to 4, James commands believers to develop a biblical attitude towards trials. In the text, he uses a seraites to demonstrate how to develop a biblical attitude towards trials. Now, a, surites, a is a logical argument that we commonly find in New Testament epistles. According to the Pocket Dictionary for the Study of New Testament Greek, a sorites is a sequence of propositions in which one established predicate becomes the subject of the next proposition. Now, these propositions are linked together, then, in a step-by-step chain that culminates in the climax of the argument. And here in James 1, 2-4, James uses a serratis to outline three steps on how to develop a biblical attitude towards trials. Developing a biblical attitude towards trials. First, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Second, know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Third, let endurance have its perfect result. And the climax of the argument is, you'll be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Now these three steps are practical and relevant for us today, as they were when James penned them. Now like his brother Jude, James also implies triads. Triads are a trio of events, characters, or descriptions that follow the rule of three. Now, the rule of three is a common rhetorical strategy used to establish an argument in order to persuade people to a certain point of view. Triads are used because they are easily memorable. And in James 1, 2-4, there are three sets of triads. The first triad is the three steps to develop a biblical attitude towards trials. First, consider it pure joy when facing trials. Two, know that the testing of faith produces endurance. And three, allow endurance to have its perfect result. The second triad is three results of trials. Trials purify faith. Trials produce patience. And trials produce maturity. And the third triad is the three results of endurance. You'll be perfect. You'll be complete. You'll be lacking nothing. Now let's begin with the first step in developing a biblical attitude towards trials. So the first step in developing a biblical attitude towards trials is to consider it pure joy when facing trials. Verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now notice here that James addresses his readers as my brethren. Brethren, Adelphos demonstrates that James viewed the recipients of his letters as fellow siblings in God's family. The term Adelphos identified both the writer and readers as part of the same fellowship or community of love. And this term was frequently used to describe the early church. Acts chapter 9 and verse 30, When the brethren Adelphos learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Romans 16, verse 14, greet, and then we have a series of individuals, and the brethren, Adelphos, with them. Now the use of Adelphos for believers was first used by Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 40, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, Adelphos, even to the least of them you did it to me. Matthew 28, verse 10. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren, Adelphos, to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Hebrews 2, 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he, Christ, is not ashamed to call them brethren, Adelphos. Now I want you to take note here that Jesus delineated what it means to be one of his brethren in Matthew 12 and verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. So if someone does not obey God's will, they have no right to consider themselves Christ's brethren. Now James commands his brethren, he commands us, to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now James employs some wordplay here, which is a common occurrence throughout his epistle. He opened his letter with the term greetings, kero, meaning to rejoice and be glad. Now he says to consider it all joy. Joy, kara, refers to something that causes rejoicing and gladness. And describing the joy with the term all, pas, implies that joy is to be pure or joy in its Fullest extent. In other words, joy is not to be forced or faked. This joy is the real deal. Now, the verb consider, hege omai, is an imperative meaning to weigh or evaluate something. And here, James wants us to evaluate our attitudes towards trials. Now, trials are not a source of joy, but grief. It is not natural to be joyful for trials. And while we are not joyful for trials, we can have joy in trials. Amid the pain and the hurt of the trial, we have confidence knowing that God has a purpose for the trial. Romans 8.28 We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, my friends, because God is in control, trials work for us, not against us. Now again, since the natural reaction to trials is negative, we must take a definitive choice or decision To rejoice and be glad to the fullest extent. Consider it all joy is the same command Jesus gave in Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Now pure joy, joy to its fullest amid trials is rooted in our eschatological reward. That is, the reward we will receive when we stand in God's presence. Indeed, God has promised that the pain and hurt of trials will not last, but will be replaced with joy. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, this command then to rejoice and be glad does not mean that we deny the mental, the emotional, or even the physical pain associated with the trial. Listen, instead of condemning Mary and Martha for crying over the death of their brother, Jesus cried with them. John 11, 33 to 35. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Hours before his death, Jesus struggled through that trial with loud crying and tears. Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who is able to save him from death. You see, this command to rejoice and be glad does not deny the pain and put on a happy face. Indeed, Scripture commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who are weeping. Now, notice again that James said that we're to rejoice and be glad when you encounter various trials. Notice he didn't, that he said rather when, not if, we deal with trials. In other words, trials are not optional, my friend. It should not come as a surprise that we are going to go through trials. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. You see, friends, being a Christian does not exempt you or me from encountering trials. Hence, we have no right to shake our fist at God, and accuse him of being unfair. No, trials are a rite of passage before entering the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now the verb encounter, parapipto, refers to coming across a situation unexpectedly. Now, sometimes the verb parapipto is translated as to fall. But I want us to be very careful that we do not take this to mean that someone has fallen into sin. You see, this same verb, peripipto, was used in Luke 10.30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and <laughs> fell among robbers. Now, just as the man in Luke 10 did not plan on getting robbed, no one plans to encounter trials. Now, the term trials, parismas, means to examine, to put to the test, or to prove something. From a theological perspective, it refers to an external adversity, which provides a testing towards an end. And the term is used in Scripture to denote either a trial or a temptation, depending on the agent or source. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery deal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. 2 Peter 2.9 The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Same term, testing and temptation, same Greek term. Now, when God is the agent, the term should be translated as testing. And his purpose is to prove believers. Let's remember that God does not tempt anyone to sin. Now, if Satan is the agent, the term should be translated as temptation. You see, the devil's purpose with the temptation is to cause you and I to fall into sin. So here in the context of James chapter 1, God, not the devil, is the agent. First, the term encounter does not mean to fall into sin. Second, we are to rejoice and be glad in the trials because the trials are tied to their eschatological reward. When the devil tempts us, he doesn't do it for our reward but for our destruction. God tries us to reward us. And since these trials are ultimately from God, he promises in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that he is faithful and will not allow us to be tried beyond what we are able, but will with the trial provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Now notice that these trials are described as various. The term various, poikilos does not necessarily imply a large number, but rather a diversity or different kinds of trials. The term puikolos is used in the Septuagint translation of Genesis 37.3. Jacob made Joseph a puikolos tunic, or a very colored tunic. Matthew uses the term in Matthew 4.24 to describe how Jesus healed various or puikolos diseases and pains. As well, Paul used the term poikolos in Hebrews 2.4 to describe how God manifested his power through various poikolos trials. And James' point here is that there are many different and diverse trials which we're going to encounter. Now, there are three types of trials that you're going to face. First, there are cause and effect trials. Cause and effect trials. These trials are based on the principle of selling and reaping. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Galatians 6.7 And often cause and effect trials are the result of disobedience on our part or poor decision making on our part. The second kind of trial that you're going to face are what are known as spiritual trials. Spiritual trials. Now spiritual trials are those trials that come from living a good life. Or a godly life. 1 Peter 4.12 Again, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. Okay, So if you live a godly life, there's the potential that it's going to result in some kind of trial against you from the pagan world. And third, there are the mysterious trials that seemingly have no logical purpose which can be identified. Now, if I I took a poll, I'm sure that all of us can identify those cause and effect trials in our lives. We can all identify those spiritual trials, and we can all identify those mysterious trials. Now, these mysterious trials are the most difficult because we don't know what the purpose is. Job faced those kinds of trials. Now, his friends had their opinions, wrong as they were, as to why Job was suffering. By the way, that's a good example why when somebody's going through a trial, the best thing you can do is stand with them, sit with them, pray with them, encourage them, but don't try in the midst of the trial to tell them why they're going through the trial. Because you may be wrong. Listen here. Job himself had no clue why he was experiencing the trials and the suffering. Job 42, verse 3, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. So whatever the cause of one's trial, believer, you can count it all joy, that is rejoice and be glad amid the trials. So why are we to rejoice and be glad amid the trials? Verse 3, Gives us the second step. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's the answer. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Now the verb knowing, gnoska, refers to having an understanding of something usually by experience. That is, we know by experience that these trials have a purpose. That is, the testing of your faith. See, the theme of testing was well known to these Jewish believers. On the one hand, they had Abraham as the example of someone who passed the test. On the other hand, they had the rebellious Israelites in the wilderness as an example of those who failed the test in Numbers 14. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus foretold us that we are going to face similar testings of faith. Matthew five ten to 12 Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now the verb testing, the testing of your faith, the word testing, refers to a test by which something is proven, in this case, your faith. In the New Testament era, the term was used to describe the process of removing alloys from a metal such as gold. The gold would be heated with fire and, and it would begin to melt and it would drain away from the alloys or the impurities. After the alloys are removed, the gold is determined to be pure and genuine. Now, pure gold was more precious or it had more monetary value than unrefined gold. Peter used the same verb, dougamion, in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though test it, by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now notice here that Peter and James made very similar statements, even though there are almost two decades between their epistles. Peter states that believers were distressed by various trials, just like James said. Yet in this, he says, we can greatly rejoice, which is an outward expression of joy. Interestingly, while this term is not found in secular Greek usage, it is common throughout the New Testament. And the biblical usage of this term indicates that this joy is divine. It's not natural. It's divine. My friends, you and I can be overjoyed in knowing that this trial is for a little while or for a short time. And though the duration of the trial is unknown, it will be temporary. Compared to eternity, the length of the trial is brief. The phrase if necessary there in 1 Peter 1:6 indicates that God has a purpose for the trial. God has a purpose is indicative of the fact that it is he who ordains the trials. God's purpose in trying us is the proof or testing of our faith. Similarly, trials are the means by which we are tested by fire to determine the purity or genuineness of our faith. That word tested, dakamazo, is the verbal form of proof. Dakamion. God tested the faith of Abraham by commanding him to offer Isaac as a burnt offering in Genesis 22. God tested the faith of Job by permitting Satan to attack and afflict him in the book of Job. And believer, you and I need to consider what trial has God brought into your life to purify your faith? Or to prove the genuineness of your faith? My friends, do not run from trials. My friends, don't try to avoid the trials. Instead, consider it all joy and know that the testing of faith produces endurance. Now the faith that passes the test will be rewarded. Abraham was rewarded with the provision of a ram in place of Isaac and the commendation of Yahweh. Genesis 22, verse 12, he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Job was rewarded with a latter life better than his early life. Job 42, verse 12, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. So believers, how are we going to be rewarded? Peter tells us. We're going to be rewarded in praise and glory and honor. Praise means to be approved and commended. Glory refers to a state of reputation. Honor is a state of being valued or a position of distinction. And these rewards will be dispersed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the rapture. 1 Corinthians 1, 7-8 So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now returning to James 1 and verse 3. When faith is tested, it produces endurance. The verb produces, katargazomai, means to accomplish or bring about something. It's an agricultural term which means to yield a harvest. And a harvest of fruits or vegetables does not happen overnight. It's a process that occurs over time. Over time, trials bring about the virtue of endurance. And you see, endurance cannot be learned in a book. It cannot be learned in a sermon. It cannot be learned in a classroom. Endurance can only be learned in the crucible of life. Now endurance, hupomone, is the strength or fortitude to withstand hardships or stress. Theologically speaking, endurance is trusting God through the long haul. And my friends, you and I need endurance because our human nature is to escape trials. Enduring does not mean that we have to withstand the trial. Enduring means that we're going to overcome the trial. Now, this virtue of endurance was something valued by the early church. And that's evidenced by Paul, who used the term some 16 times, and by John's repetitive use of the term. For example, Romans 5.3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance or endurance. Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Therefore we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. Revelation 2.12, I know your deeds and your toils and perseverance or endurance. And so, my friends, we can rejoice and be glad amid the trials because we know the trials have a purpose, and that purpose is to bring about the strength and fortitude that we need for spiritual growth. Which brings us to verse 4 And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, that verb let echo is imperative and implies submission to God in the trial. Now, submission does not mean masochistically suffering through the trial or taking no steps to alleviate the difficulties. Even Paul prayed for relief from trials in 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 7 and 8, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. See, my friend, if you lose your job, certainly you ought to be waiting on God to provide, but you should also actively be pursuing a new job. If you have a health issue, certainly you ought to pray to the great physician, but also you ought to seek a doctor and obtain medical help. Submitting to God in trials doesn't mean doing nothing. It means doing something while acknowledging God's sovereignty and allowing Him to do as He pleases. Job 1 verse 21. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. As well, the verb let, have, means to produce an effect. It's in the present tense implying that endurance is to be ongoing. Tested faith produces endurance. And now endurance must be allowed to produce its perfect result. The term perfect, teleos, refers to something that is brought to completion. And result, ergon, is what is produced, in this case, by endurance. Thus endurance, the strength and fortitude for spiritual growth, must continue until spiritual maturity comes to completion. And recognizing that endurance is continuously needed to produce spiritual maturity means that we can count on ongoing trials to produce the needed endurance. And knowing that the trials will ultimately lead to spiritual maturity means that you and I can count it all joy. We can rejoice and be glad. Now James next defines this perfect result or spiritual maturity in three ways. First, Endurance will enable believers to be perfect. The term perfect here means to be complete or mature. And because something is completed is therefore unblemished or without defect. This term perfect was used to describe God in Matthew 5.48. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That God is perfect implies that he is complete or lacking in nothing and as such is unblemished and without defect. That God's perfection then is demonstrated in his blamelessness and righteousness. You see, to be perfect implies that you and I are to be characterized by blamelessness and righteousness. Now you might say, Pastor, that's impossible. But look at the example of Noah in Genesis 6, 9. He was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Now, second. Endurance will not only enable us to be perfect, it will enable us to be complete. Complete, holocleros, means to possess all the necessary qualities. When used of a physical body, it implies the health or well-being of a body. And so in a spiritual sense, being complete infers that we are spiritually healthy. And when we add the term complete with perfect, it implies a gradual process of adding one virtue to another virtue. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. For this very reason, apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. See, we're to supply these seven moral virtues to our faith. That word supply there meant to provide something in addition to what already exists, or to add. We must add moral excellence or moral virtue. We must add knowledge. That's the truths of scripture. So that, we're, so that it influences and informs our ethics. We must add self-control. That means to master or control our egocentric, selfish, sinful desires. We must add perseverance or the endurance to withstand the hardships and stresses. Which is the byproduct of trials. We must add endurance demonstrates that we cannot run from them. Trials are part of the spiritual maturing process. And then we're to add godliness or respect and reverence to God. And then we're to add brotherly kindness, that genuine attitude or gratitude and respect for others by putting them first. And then finally, we're to add love, that agape love, that sacrificially seeking the highest good of someone else with no expectation of anything in return. And my friends, when we possess all of these necessary qualities for spiritual maturity, our profession will become practice. And then third, endurance will enable us to be lacking in nothing. Lacking means to fall short, to be deficient or destitute of something. That believers lack nothing means that areas of weakness in our lives have been addressed and corrected. It implies that we have added the necessary virtues. And where believers possess and increase in these virtues, they'll never be useless or unfruitful. 2 Peter 1.8 If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, developing these virtues does not occur overnight. It takes duration, it takes determination, and it takes discipline over the long haul. But if these virtues are constant and growing in your lives, then you're neither going to be useless or unfruitful. Are they growing in your life? Are you working on adding these things into your life? The word useless means to be ineffective, idle, insincere, or false. Unfruitful means that you're not producing the desired results. And so my friends, if you endure in the trial, if you add virtue upon virtue, you're not going to be lacking or destitute of anything needed for spiritual maturity. Now let me also say this, that being perfect, complete, and lacking nothing does not mean you're sinless. It does imply though that you're committed to God. And obedient to his will and word. Is that you? Friends, no one's exempt from trials. But I'm afraid that we value our creature comforts more than biblical character. And I will say that if you value your creature comfort, you're going to be overcome by the trials. Now, if you want to overcome the trial, then I encourage you to follow James 3 steps. And develop a biblical attitude towards trials. I challenge you, believer, to embrace a radical perspective. Rejoice and be glad amid the trial. I challenge you to get the right perception. Trials produce the virtue of endurance. And third, I want to challenge you, believers, to get a refining, get on board with the refining process. Trials result in spiritual maturity. Endurance in the present will result in maturity in the future. Believer, I want you to remember that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2.10 God uses whatever means necessary including trials to shape you as He pleases. I will be completely honest the shaping will be painful but in the end it produces a character of maturity. I want you to remember this that before you can serve God you must be shaped by God. Listen, God shaped Joseph for 13 years before he made him the third most powerful person in all of Egypt. He took Joseph through some hard times, through some hard trials, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, in prison, and forgotten by those he helped. But in looking back over his trials, Joseph declared, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Father, we thank you for showing us your plan and purpose in these trials. Father, we confess that our nature is to run, to try to escape the trials, to avoid the trials. And yet, Father, you tell us to embrace it. You tell us to go through it and count it all joy. You're not telling us to be joyful about the trial. Not to be not to have joy in the trial. But rather to have joy for the trial because we know what the trial is going to do ultimately it's going to help us endure and we need that endurance so that we can grow spiritually father I pray that as we go through these trials you will come alongside of us and help us minister to us through your spirit lift us up enable us you've promised us Lord that you will not bring any trial into our life that you have not provided us the provisions for, so that we can withstand it. And so, Father, may we keep that in mind as we face whatever the trials may be, that, Lord, you've brought this into our life, but because you've brought it into our life, we can get through it. You'll provide the way of escape. Father, I pray that you'd give us an attitude like Joseph, that, Lord, while we look at these evil things in our lives, we will know that you meant it for good. Help us, Father, to develop a biblical attitude towards trials. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen.